Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Special, special guest today. I wrote a piece, in case you haven't caught it yet, up on the No Ceiling Substack. I, I wanted to talk about the Charlotte Hornets, not only just LaMelo Ball, but I also wanted to talk about Miles Bridges and the leap that he's taken this year as well, seemingly to becoming a star. I actually called him a star at the very end of the piece. If you haven't read it already, definitely go check it out. The No Ceiling Substack, subscribe, the whole nine yards. But there is no other person I would rather talk about Charlotte Hornets basketball with than Mr. Lee Branscombe. Lee, how you doing? I am fantastic. It is, uh, it's always a pleasure to jump on the Draft Deeper pod. I love your guys' stuff on Twitter. I thought the article was fantastic today. So, so definitely, definitely direct folks to that. And uh, I'm excited, man. It's, I'm still kind of like getting used to the fact that people actually want to talk people, about the Hornets. They're, they're not only the league past darlings anymore. Now it's like the Charlotte Hornets are, are a very legitimately good basketball team. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I mean, and, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into, you know, what's sustainable, maybe what isn't, um, you know, how how real is this start? Um, I, I am leaning, and we'll get into like the more of the nuance with it, I'm sure, but I, I am yep. kind of leaning towards the fact that um, this is, is, is absolutely like a semi-real start. I mean, I think there are some sustainable things. Do I think the Hornets are going to finish second? an offensive rating in the entire NBA? Probably not. Um, but do I think that they can be a playoff team in the East? Absolutely. So we, we've already kind of kicked this podcast off to an incredible start, but before we dive too far down the Charlotte Hornets rabbit hole, Lee, you've been doing a whole bunch of stuff that I've been noticing on social media. I believe you're, you're now a part of a brand new Hornets podcast. Why don't you update my audience in case they don't already follow you on Twitter at which Carolina with everything you're doing. I want you to definitely talk about that. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, so like you said, at which Carolina on Twitter is kind of the hub. You can find everything there. The Witch Carolina podcast is still alive and well. And, and the Witch Carolina podcast is really specifically now just a NBA draft podcast. I've kind of pretty much ported all of my Charlotte Hornets content over to the Buzz Beat Pod, spelled just like it sounds, um, as, as an official co-host. And and the guys on the Buzz Beat Pod have actually been doing it for quite a few years, uh, back into the like doldrum days of, uh, <laughs> of of Kimball Walker and almost nothing else. And uh, they they have done a fantastic job, like slowly but surely, kind of cultivating an audience. So when they asked me. Um, to come join as a co-host, I was I was super pumped. So yeah, man, I appreciate you letting me do that. Which Carolina, all my NBA draft stuff, Buzz Beat Pod, all our Hornet stuff. No, like like I already said at the top, there is no other person that I want to talk to or go read or listen anything about Charlotte Hornets other than you, my friend. So with that being said, I think the the plug is is absolutely well deserved. You've always been a great guest on my podcast, and let's let's dig into some of the mean potatoes about the Charlotte Hornets. So God, my, my first initial reactions watching this team this year so far, and, and this is really a lot of what I want to do with this podcast on a second episode of the week, obviously cover as much draft stuff as possible, but also really talk about the young guys in the NBA and finding different ways to tie NBA coverage into some of the guys that have just come into the league. 
But watching this team, watching not only LaMelo, Miles, but the collective as a whole, damn, you guys are playing fast. Like, holy hell, I wrote it right in my piece. I said, if I was trying to play defense against the Hornets right now, I'd be swearing every single trip up and down the floor. Like, holy shit, they're doing this again? Like, like Miles is just, like, leaking out, like, three seconds ahead of everybody else again? Like, what? But that's that's really, to me, been the most noticeable change, I think. And it's, it's not that your team's personnel has really changed that much. It's just completely have wiped away a lot of the, the more slower paced stuff that you guys were doing last year. Now it's every single thing you're doing. It's just grab and go, grab and go. Even when you bring the ball up and you get into what you would think would be a more traditional half court set, you guys are running mm-hmm. very simple one to two read actions and you're finding ways to still get plenty of shots up anywhere from like eight to 12 seconds left of the shot clock. So you're still operating yep. at a very fast pace. So Lee, why don't you talk to me about some of your initial thoughts on what you've seen through four games so far? Why don't you enlighten myself as well as my audience about everything that you're seeing? Well, it's a very astute observation and you're right. I think, I think I tweeted in the Boston game, like at halftime, I felt like my head was spinning, kind of like trying <laughs> to trying to keep up with the action both ways. And you did a good job in the article of kind of differentiating uh, Boston's, I guess, willingness more than anything else to make yep. sure that they were they were trying to get back and, and contest contest shots. I, I think there's a couple distinctions here. Um, the first thing is. I, James Borrego has tried to play quicker each each year of his regime regime in Charlotte, and I, I think you know people forget like the the Borrego regime started prior to Lamelo Ball. So I just don't think from a roster construction standpoint, James Borrego had kind of the horses, if you will, to play kind of this up tempo, and and it's almost like the chicken or the egg, right? It's was this something James Borrego wanted to do all along or was the emergence of LaMelo ball, the impetus to allowing him to do so. I'm not in his, I'm not in his brain. I'm not sure which way to go on that one, but what is evident is, you know, the, the, the year prior to LaMelo ball, it was basically like, you know, this was Devontae Graham emerging as a second year player. And it was essentially just very vanilla spread, pick and roll, try and yeah. create offense, kind of, kind of like slow on slow, deliberate slowness on purpose to try and stay competitive. If that makes yep. sense. Whereas, whereas now, and to your point, obviously Lamelo and Miles, I think headline the the, the reason for the pace. Um, but you also, and you mentioned this in your article. You also had a backup point guard in Ish Smith that uh, God, I, God, America- I love Ish Smith. He is he he. I, I'm not saying he's the best backup point guard in the league, but he's my favorite right. backup point guard in the league, w- without a doubt, no question. Uh, well, right, and and for short and for Hornets fans, you know, Ish Smith is from the Charlotte area originally. Played high school ball yeah. there. Played at Wake Forest, so he he's getting a hero's welcome. And um, and uh, in the words of Eric Collins, are wonderful. Uh, play-by-play guy uh, issues quicker than a hiccup. Um, so, 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 so I guess the point I'm trying to make here is I do think Mitch Kupchak in the front front office kind of uh, deliberately acquired personnel. When you think about Ishmith and Kelly Oubre in particular, another kind of yeah. versatile, switchy, athletic wing that is comfortable playing in transition and in pace. 
and and when you and when you also take kind of the more macro view of Devontae Graham and Malik Monk out, pushing all your chips in for better or worse as Lamelo on kind of the sole offensive playmaking engine. Um, I just think pace comes with that. And the last point I'll make before I kick it back to you is, I, I and I think this is a distinction to make too. Like most teams want to run off off misses. Like when you snare a defensive rebound, that's a good opportunity to try and get up the floor and get an easy basket. I think what's really um, interesting about the Charlotte Hornets right now is. Somebody literally very... sprints to the baseline to get that ball right back into play, even on a make. It's Bingo. incredible. Bingo. Exactly. They are pushing off makes or misses. It doesn't matter. And particularly, I think the Cleveland game kind of sticks out in my mind more than any on, you know, give up a basket and literally get a layup within like three seconds of giving up that basket on the other end which just kind of, you know, it's demoralizing, uh, I think, to an opposing team when they work so hard. Not that our defense is, is the Iron Curtain by any means, but when they work, <laughs> you know, when they they work hard to produce a basket and then LaMelo throws a 75-foot pass down the floor to a Gordon Hayward or Miles Bridges dunker layup, um, I do think there there's a little bit of a demoralizing effect for the opposing team when that happens. So you guys have quite a number of players on offense who are so cohesive in playing mm. with one another. And we'll, we'll get into LaMelo and then Miles specifically in, in how they've grown or, or how they've accustomed to playing at a faster pace along with everybody else this year. But first of all, I noted this towards the end of the piece. Terry Rozier has been out for you guys. He, right. he, he played like in what, like 23 minutes in, in game one. I think if I'm correct on that, then he's been out ever since. Yeah, in, in the Cleveland game, in game two, he played like, game yeah, two. like 22 minutes and and really was not himself or very effective and re, and injured his other ankle in that game than the one he was previously recovering from. <laughs> so, so so offensively, those those minutes, that role of his per se has gone to Kelly Oubre, as you said. Yep. But – Terry Rozier has become a really, really good offensive player in the NBA. I know Coach David Thorpe likes to talk about him as much as he can. He Terry Rozier is probably one of my favorite underrated corner three-point shooters in the league, along with Jalen Brown. I feel like every time either of those guys catches the ball in the corner and they go up with it, it's probably going to go in. I think he shot like 45% what I noted on corner threes last year. So that's a key component that you're missing within the offense. But at the same time, you have Kelly Oubre, who is more willing, I think, than ever at this point to move the, the to get the ball out in the move. Like he has become an actual willing passer. He's not just jacking up every single shot that he sees, right. which is important. And then you also have Gordon Hayward in this year, who Gordon Hayward, at least through these four games, has taken a little bit of a step back in terms of his offensive efficiency. But he's another guy. He's just a calming presence within the offense. He's somebody who knows how to get the ball to where he needs to go. And oh, by the way. Mason Plumley. nobody ever talks about Mason Plumley's passing ability for, for what he's able to do at the center spot. Like, he also has kept the ball moving and just does a lot of the right things within the offense. So it's not just LaMelo and Miles. It's some of the other guys as well. Cody Martins looked really good. Jalen McDaniels has always been somebody who I've had an eye on. Why don't you talk to me about some of these other guys who have contributed to the Hornets' success, not just LaMelo and Miles? Yeah, well, I, I think your first point is really important. Like, 
I mean, there's a pretty logical argument, in my opinion, that Terry Rozier was the best player on the team last year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Gordon Hayward mit- missed a, a long stretch of games. LaMelo Ball, who had a, obviously a fantastic rookie season, missed a long stretch of games. I think in the last six weeks of the season, Miles Bridges was our best player, and you're seeing that carry over. Yeah. But from a but from like a full season standpoint, Terry Rozier was the best player on this team last year. So the fact that they've been able to do what they've done offensively without his shooting that you correctly kind of identified and diagnosed, it, it's also it's also the movement shooting too. Like James Borrego, in my opinion, is one of the better kind of like post timeout situational uh action uh like directors in terms of drawing something up in a specific situation to get his best shooter a shot and that was a staple of our offense last year was terry rozier coming off like movement shooting down screens double screens all that type of stuff that's not there so you're seeing a very kind of neutered playbook i would say on the offensive side but but maybe maybe it's kind of that keep it simple stupid like like the the hornets know who they are (laughs) They know what they know what's effective right now and they're sticking to it. Um, but in terms of kind of like ancillary pieces, I think you make a great point about Mason. There was there was some time, you know, preseason particularly, but even in the first couple games where you could absolutely tell that he was still kind of trying to figure out where he fits in, where he can be effective, what is his role, what's his kind of chemistry with, with some of these other guys. I think that is kind of of course, that'll be a work in progress throughout the entire season, but he already seems to have settled in a bit. Um, I think you noted in the article that he's he's been kind of a glass cleaner on the defensive side of the ball, which is yep. which is absolutely true. Um, he he is not an elite rim protector by any means. Charlotte still kind of lacks that specialty role, um, but he is a much better passer than people realize, which you which you just hit hit on. Um, and he also, believe it or not, you know, Mason Plumlee's fairly comfortable taking three or four dribbles up the floor and getting the ball out yep. into the passing lanes. It's not something I don't think Hornets fans want to see a ton of, but like just to continue to reiterate the pace point, like most of the time there are five guys on the floor who can grab a rebound and at the very least, at least put it on the floor one or two times to get the ball up the floor. Um, McDaniel, you know, PJ Washington has also been hurt for these last couple games. McDaniels has has stepped in nicely in that role. Cody Martin, um, who I think people are a bit surprised right now that Cody Martin is in the rotation over our lottery pick, James Booknight. That is not super surprising to me. Like Borrego kind of has a history of bringing along young guards very slowly even LaMelo Ball did not start until, you know, 25, yeah. 30 games into the season last year. I don't think it's time. Like, I don't think this is a uh, negative thing for James Booknight. I think it's just, uh, you know, like he's going to have to show his proof of work, essentially. That's just the way it goes. And and Martin has been, I would say, more than serviceable. Uh, obviously, he's a fantastic perimeter defender. He's been incredibly limited offensively thus far in his career. But right now, he seems a bit more comfortable putting the ball on the floor um, and, and attacking the rim, particularly off closeouts. And he's been very judicious with his three-point shooting, but he's actually making a few this year, which is a brand new thing. I mean, I think he's like 
shooting 37% on like two attempts a game. So nothing to write home about, but certainly something I think Hornets fans should like have their antenna up about just a little bit to see if that's real at all. Cause that would, that would help him not be a massive offensive liability that he's been in the past. So LaMelo ball, good God. Not only is he fun to watch, I don't know. I honestly don't know how you really properly defend against him. And and it's right. I noted this in the piece too. It's sometimes very comical to watch teams like not even necessarily try to like double him immediately as soon as he crosses half court, but they'll try to double him out of like getting into a pick and roll and they'll bring the guy who should be covering the big man rolling to the basket over to try and double a mellow. And it's like, that's child's play for him. Like he's, he's going to hit Plumlee in the lane with an uncontested shot at the rim. Like every single time, if you try and double him or trap him, you know, off off the wing or like one of the corner spots, like he's going to whip the ball to the opposite end and he's going to hit the open corner shooter. Like every single, like you literally can't double this guy. He is, he's, he's too big for that. He's too skilled. He his court vision is absolutely tremendous. Like, Talk to me about what you're seeing from him, kind of his development from year one to year two already early on in the season. And like, is there really a good way to defend against him or is this just more of what we're going to continue to see from him? Well, look, if he's going to shoot 50% from three, no, there is, there is, <laughs> there is no way to defend him. Obviously he's not going to end the season shooting 50% from three. Um, he finished his rookie year, um, shooting 35% from three on about five attempts per game, which I think most like draft opinion makers and pontificators would say that was probably ahead of schedule. Um, I think he's clearly taking another step forward as a jump shooter. Um, although there were, we're going to see some mean reversion there at some point. At some um, point, yep. At some point, right? Um, but no, I, I think you make a really good point. I think. I think the difficulty that opposing defenses find themselves in is exactly what you just laid out. You know, if you have an elite on-ball defender, um, your, your best chance is probably to kind of like live with the results of that rather than trying to blitz him. Because like you said, he's so big, he can see over the defenses and I mean, his passing is is essentially wizardry. Like the the guy has every pass in the book with both hands. He mm-hmm. sees things before they happen. And I think I think one under discussed quality about Lamelo thus far, because like the offense has been so incredible, he still has major um, improvements to make, particularly as a point of attack defender. I think everyone knows that. But the same like cerebral genius that gives him the ability to make all the passes that he makes on the offensive end also translates to some pretty special defensive anticipation stuff on the other end as well. And it's, it's that same, like whatever is going on in his brain, it's kind of that same result on both ends. It just manifests itself differently. He's averaging like almost two steals a game right now. He led our team in steals last year as a rookie. Um, I think that besides the passing, which will always be his calling card, I think as LaMelo Ball kind of uh, turns into whatever kind of star that he's go- looks like he's going to be turning into, I think the defensive anticipation stuff 
will kind of become synonymous as a like a quality that everyone talks about. Like Lamelo's just he's so long. He sees yeah. things on the defensive end before they happen. So that's a point I always like to try to make um, when I'm talking about Lamelo. Um, but yeah, man, th- there's really not much else to say. He's just been he's been absolutely phenomenal in his in the in the start of his second uh, season of his career. I guess the last thing I would say is, you know, when I was talking about expectations for this team, when, when, when I gave the half glass full optimistic take, if you wanted to go that way, the, the, the roadmap for that was most, not all, but most superstars in the NBA make a pretty massive jump in their second year. You know, you, you saw that, I think, most notably with Luka Doncic. Yep. Um, I, I said this prior to the season, if the Hornets were going to become a truly – like interesting first round playoff team, maybe even like, you know, give a scare to somebody in the first round or who knows, maybe even get out of a first round. It was going to have to be in general, the young core getting better, but specifically it was going to have to be LaMelo ball making that kind of patented second year superstar jump. Um, And, and look, we're four games into the season but it, it, it seems to be happening uh, before our eyes. Really, to me with LaMelo, there, there's, there's really only two, two kind of things you can do against him. The first would be, I guess, you kind of let him live and die in isolation, which right. it's really picking your poison on that one because he was one of the better isolation guards in the entire NBA last year. He hasn't been quite as good by the synergy percentiles this year, but again, we're only four games in. I would assume that some of that balances itself out as well. The other thing would be, you, you, you have a guard who understands how to play him defensively and, and let him turn a little bit of the corner and kind of go inside, but not to the point where he's seeing everything else going on around him and whipping the ball to the other side of the court. Having him sort of get a shot up in the lane, but contested by a big man who maybe not isn't like an, an elite shot blocker, but at least somebody who is really good at contesting and not fouling. And you're putting that sort of pressure on LaMelo to finish around the basket because he still has that, I want to kiss it high off the glass. I want to finish with flair and pizzazz, but I don't really want to go into anybody. Like right. he doesn't want to finish through anybody. So that that's really it. And I, I know that you, you probably understand this as well, Lee, watching him. Like you look at his body all the time. He's going to keep filling out. He's going to keep getting stronger. I don't think he lacks any sort of touch around the basket. It's more of mechanically just his style and what he wants to do. But as soon as he does get stronger, as soon as he becomes more comfortable with crashing more often into the defense, which he's actually become pretty good free throw shooter as well. So that will only yep. keep adding scoring average as well. But that's something I envision being corrected eventually. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but definitely by like year four, as he's much more physically mature in the league, I would expect that to be corrected. So it really is like, what what the hell are you going to do against this guy? Yeah, and I think the only other thing that I could say, which is an, it's an external factor that LaMelo really can't control all that much, is like the Hornets are shooting 40% from three right now as a team. so. You know, those teammates right now are knocking in those open opportunities that he's producing. Now, you know, you might say that's unsustainable, and it probably is to a degree, but this team shot 36% from three last year. And to our point earlier, Terry Rozier has barely even played yet, and he's our best shooter. So, again, I I, I am like you. I, I kind of, 
I don't envy these opposing coaches that are trying to game plan for LaMelo Ball right now um, because, look, I mean, Marcus Smart is one of the premier perimeter defenders in the NBA, and LaMelo, you know, kind of had his way. Um, I think you made a fantastic point about LaMelo's isolation creation. I think that was another thing that was ahead of schedule last season. He just abused um, more cumbersome, slower-footed uh, post when he got when he got the switches and um, and that was something that I think people were slightly unsure on like what's his burst like what's his separation like I think he's made another little step forward it seems like this year he's even kind of getting around the corner on the pick and roll a bit easier than even last year well it's his, it's his manipulation of the ball like that ball is on totally. the string and and he's th- this year What's fascinating is that last year it seemed like every single thing he did was dictated off of his handle. Now you get to what he's doing in these first four games, and it's it's not only the handle, but it's also more of the start-stop stuff is coming along. Like that's yep. what we see from John Morant with Memphis. That's how he's taken such a massive leap so quickly in his career was that he kind of had more of that from day one, and I think that that his dribble craft and his handle have – been what's improved in the NBA, not necessarily the the change of pace type stuff. It was the opposite for Lamelo, and now Lamelo's really reaping the rewards from putting in that time, that 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 work, that effort to really get better at that. And yeah, he's he's making defenders look absolutely silly when when it's him on an island versus somebody. And he already is such a comfortable pull up jump shooter. The style of offense that they're playing in only better suits that. It allows him to get himself set and take some of those early shot clock jumpers that. He already wanted to take anyways, but now everybody else around him is better equipped to let him do so because they're sprinting down the other end of the floor. They're getting set and ready. They're pulling all the defenders with them to the point where there really is only one guy around the mellow ball in transition, and he's going to beat that guy more times than not. So it really is just – it's a nice blend of not only player development, but also when a coach understands how to maximize – everyone on his team and put them in the best positions to win. I, I've already been a big fan of James Borrego. I've been a big fan of, of James Borrego for years. And th- I think he did a masterful job last year and he's off to an even better start this year. And speaking of the young guys and, and, and matching system with player development, I love this Miles Bridges story, man. I absolutely love it. I thought he was underrated coming out of Michigan state. I thought he got a really raw deal because you can just tell between how hard he plays, how ferocious of a basketball player he is. He wants to rip your lunch out of your hands and eat it himself. <laughs> like that, that's the type of guy that, that he's always been, going back to when he played at Michigan totally. State. And the Hornets have been very patient with him. They brought him along. And now they're reaping the rewards of doing that, of, of being patient with him and giving him the proper time to develop and it's not like they've asked him to completely transform his game or his style of play i noted that in the piece like he's not necessarily doing anything different than he's done in the past he's just getting more opportunity to do so because of the style of play that the hornets are employing on offense so why don't you talk to me about what you've seen from from miles bridges do you think a lot of what he's doing right now is sustainable because i actually think it is 
Like, I know that he's averaging 25 points per game, eight and a half rebounds. He's 53% from the field, 35.7% from three. That's actually lower than what he was at last year. 94% from the free throw line. That's really a number that stands out to me, especially if he keeps pouring in more and more free throw attempts, which it seems like the Hornets are going to keep doing. They're fifth, I believe, in free throws attempted right now in the NBA. So that's a trend that's going to keep going. But really because of how he gets his offense, I feel like these numbers are sustainable. And th- this is just the hyper-efficient Miles Bridges that we're going to keep seeing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, I-, I think you-, you were right to point out that Charlotte has been uh, patient to a degree with Miles Bridges. I think, I think kind of the Miles Bridges story has basically been, you know, his first two off seasons with the Charlotte Hornets. Obviously, Miles Bridges is now in his fourth year in the NBA currently. Um, his first two off seasons, Miles Bridges improved, but he probably only improved by like 3%, you know, mm-hmm. three, four, just, just a, a solid little tick up. He was a little bit better each year. And I think Hornets fans and Hornets Twitter's like disappointed is not the right word. They were just kind of waiting. Like they were kind of waiting for him to pop. And last season, he finally popped. I would say last year, last off season, entering into his third year, playing out that third year, he probably improved like eight to 10%, you know, like a pretty significant, significant jump. Yep. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with what you said, his efficiency. I mean, he was quietly like basically a 50, 40, 90 guy last year, um, <laughs> yep. just, just slightly below the 90 on the free throws. He was, he was uh, 50 from the field and 40 from three. Obviously I think, I think another great point that you're making is he hasn't really changed a whole lot as a player, although his individual skills have all improved. He's still pretty much playing the same role for us. You know, he's kind of mm-hmm. this, he's kind of this positionless switch army knife, versatile, offensive and defensive both both ended wing um the shooting of course has been a massive um i I think factor in in the way that he has kind of burst onto the scene he's also slowly but surely improved as an individual defender and he's he's really i think if if i could point to one thing to say there actually is some fairly noticeable change in his ability i would say it's the off the dribble stuff Yep. Um, he's incredibly comfortable attacking closeouts now. Um, and this year, particularly, although we're still very early, you're starting to see signs of like, not, not even just like catch and go stuff, but like put the ball on the floor and isolation create, whether that's just using his brute strength to get right to the basket or whether that's even actually like using some dribble combination moves to create space and get to the basket or get to like kind of his little, his little step back jumper that he loves. Um, So what I said prior to the season was, you know, after I laid out kind of those percentage improvements, right. If he makes another, you know, even conservatively like a six to 8% improvement, you're all of a sudden talking about a fringe all-star player. And that's kind of what we've seen. I mean, he obviously was the Eastern Conference player of the month or player of the week in the first week of the season. You just laid out kind of all of his like traditional raw, raw numbers. I mean, those are all star numbers. Um, He had a massive game against Brooklyn, which I think was really good to see because, um, you know, obviously Brooklyn has their (laughs) fair share of star power, to put it lightly. Um, 
So, so I think, I think it's very real. I think the, the raw numbers are probably going to come down just a little bit. Um, but all of the other stuff is, is, is very sustainable because we've, we've now seen it for one full season and carried over right into another season with another step forward. The last thing I'll say about miles is his willingness to do whatever the team needs him to do. And I know that sounds like slightly cliche or whatever, but it, but it's actually true and actually matters. I think with miles bridges, because last year he was asked to come off the bench and he did so with a smile on his face and was a, like there were, I could count, I, I could rattle off a number of games last year where miles bridges enters the game and, and this was actually a trend with the Hornets last year. Like the starters were not, they did not start fast most of the time last year. Most of the time it was the injection of like either a combination of Miles Bridges and LaMelo Ball or a combination of Miles Bridges and Malik Monk off the bench would jump started the team and got them going. So Miles Bridges is happy to come off the bench. He's happy to start, which you see this season. Yep. He's also happy to be kind of this ancillary glue guy. And he's also happy to bump the usage up and become more of a playmaker, which you saw in the last six to eight weeks of the yes. season last year when Hayward and Ball and even Devontae Graham were hurt at times. So, like, the last point I just wanted to make is I think he's so valuable because he's literally willing to plug and play in whatever role helps the team the most. Yes, he is. He is absolutely willing to make the right play happen, make the right pass for other people. I mean, you saw it multiple times in the Brooklyn game where they have him so accustomed to making just one decision as soon as he catches the ball. Right. Like he, he's they, they, they're pretty good at spacing the floor around him to where if he catches it, he has enough space. He can fire up the three. If that defender is. A, a, a little in front of him at the point to where he can get the step on the guy attack the closeout. He will do so. But what I've seen in, in the few games that I've watched this season already is that when the help defender comes over, he's less willing to like crash into that guy, maybe pick up the offensive foul, but he'll actually stop and he'll turn his back to that guy oh. and then he'll just pass right back out of the play. And that is so important. We know that, you know, Plumlee and Hayward, we already talked about. Those are two guys who are willing to do things like that. LaMelo Ball is very willing to give up the basketball when he needs to. I mentioned Kelly Oubre and, and, and Cody Martin. They're also quick decision makers or they'll get rid of the ball. And now you have Miles who has star qualities and what he can do, but he's also chosen to be unselfish at times. Maybe a little more than, than he might think in, in his head, like, no, I can probably get through this guy or no, I could probably finish over this guy, but yeah, I should probably just make the pass out and just keep the ball moving and, and make sure that we get the best shot possible that we can. When you have a whole team that is collectively bought in to one philosophy to just keep the ball moving and play as fast as we can, defenses are not going to want to keep up with that. Like that, that I'm glad that you picked up on the distinction that I made about Boston versus Brooklyn. Like Brooklyn, yep. we already know that they're not going to sprint back on defense in the regular season. Like they're they're just they're not going to care that much. They they are of the utmost belief that they're going to walk the ball down the floor. Eventually, they're going to hit enough shots to the point where they're either in games, they can win them, or if the games like ends up being that far out of reach because they are missing some of those shots, it's a regular season game. They'll they'll live and die by the result. Boston 
is a little more motivated. They're they're a little younger of a team in general. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, those are Marcus Smart. Those are guys who are willing to run and defend. Robert Williams is willing right. to get back and contest shots at the rim. So it's just completely different. When you, when you go up against a team like that, the results aren't going to be as easy to come by. But if you keep the ball moving as much as you are in the half court, eventually you're going to wear some of those defenders down and they're just not going to be able to keep up. You're going to continue creating open looks. And that only comes from being willing to make the right play and the smart play. And, and it, it's been, it really has been a joy to watch your Charlotte Hornets lead this year. It absolutely has like people, pe- th- those kinds of things that I'm talking about are usually something you would, you would say about like the golden state warriors, for example, <laughs> why the warriors have been so awesome to watch for all of these years with Steph and clay and Draymond and all of the instinctual playing off of one another, what Charlotte's doing this year. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, now there are, it's not a perfect basketball team, as you alluded to, right. there, there, there are some weaknesses on this team. You don't have the most traditional, not, not necessarily just rim protector, but this more modern type big who can step out, not completely die on an Island, be more, a little more comfortable switching. Like you guys try to switch a lot on defense, but you don't yep. always have the defensive personnel to do so. And that in my opinion, you, you alluded to this, like LaMelo Ball can definitely improve at the point of attack defensively. I think you, you guys are lacking that that one special standout wing type defender who can just apply totally. pressure on the other team's best player. Now, Miles has gotten better at that. I I, mm-hmm. I love watching Miles Bridges play defense. LaMelo, I, I think that's that's a reason you, you called out why LaMelo is special because if you don't have that elite get a stop type guy, you at least have somebody who is instinctual and can make plays, be a defensive playmaker for you. That's awesome. I love when LaMelo buys in and likes to do all that, but those are really the two bigness weaknesses that I see with this team. And they're not, they're not impossible to remedy. Like I would still absolutely keep Mason Plumley on this roster because of everything he does for the team offensively. Maybe eventually he's not your starting big man, you talked about James Booknight. There's also Kai Jones waiting in the wings yeah. as well. And 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 while James Booknight and Kai Jones are technically more long-term answers at the same time, this is still a relatively young Hornets team with plenty of room to grow. So where what what moves firstly? Do, do you agree with some of what I've said? What what moves do you think the Charlotte Hornets need to make to further their status in the Eastern Conference? Do you think some of those long-term answers are already on the roster? Do you think there's a few trades that need to be made? Where do you see the Charlotte Hornets kind of keeping on with developing and, and, and rounding out this roster? Yeah, well, um, we haven't we haven't touched on, on PJ Washington too much yet. And and part of that is because he's been hurt. Um, PJ is an incredibly important variable of this roster. And 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 the reason why is kind of another point I want to roll into um, that could I mean it's not negative it's just something that that Hornets fans and NBA fans should be paying attention to like I've spent the last what 30 minutes like completely gushing about this team so so I think it's it's fair to go ahead and start throwing out a couple words of warning too um PJ Washington allows the Hornets to quote unquote play small um PJ PJ at the five was the Hornets most successful lineup by leaps and bounds last year you, i remember uh, you and i going back and forth before last season even started and we're like pj washington better get minutes at the five like they they better run this out and they better figure out 
that year if it works. And and yeah, you just alluded to it. It, it does in different situations. It, it's it, it was it was easily their most successful lineup. You know, Zeller kind of treaded water, and Biombo minutes were just a sieve. I mean, we we just hemorrhaged points to opponents when when Biz was in the game. God God bless his soul. I love Biz, but um, it it looks like right now. Um, Mason Plumley can be a net positive, M- maybe not like a massive net positive, but I think he can do a little bit better than Treadwater, hopefully at his positional minutes. Uh, why PJ is so important is the point I want to make, and that's about the closing lineup. Um, the Hornets' closing lineup, I think, in most situations, should probably be some combination of when we're healthy. LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington. And that's a lineup that gives LaMelo Ball the most space possible to create late in games. And it's the same thing. Like, if you want to have the playoff conversation, it's the same thing. Like, yep. play, playoffs are more tense, tight. The, the spacing gets tighter. The defense is more locked in. It's the same thing late in games. So when P.J.'s not out there or – and or when PJ's just not playing well, that that is a that is a massive drag on this team because that closing lineup is so important. And the reason why, and you kind of alluded to this in your article, like if you look at all the Hornets numbers from last year, it's hard to put your finger on why this team was kind of able to outperform expectations. Because from a defensive rating standpoint, they were league average. And even though they were league average, a lot of that was just because of like, honestly, intelligent masking on Borrego's part. Like he played a ton of zone. I think the Hornets might have even played the most zone in the NBA last year. And 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 kind of the the switchable defense that you talked about earlier, which gets us in trouble sometimes, but also but also mask a lot of our deficiency at deficiencies at times, too. And and the offensive rating was actually like 22 or 23 last season. Um, so those, oh yeah, all, those all are... the offensive numbers are completely night and day so far. And, totally. and, and and you're right that we can't expect a lot of those efficiencies to stay quite up where they are. But at the same time, like I think overall, you guys are probably going to end up finishing like like a top 10, top 12 offensive team at, at this point. Like I I don't I don't I think, think that's, that's up for debate. So yeah. No, I think that's realistic. And so, like, when you're looking at last season and you're saying, well, how the heck did they outperform expectations? And then you go look at the clutch numbers, and you realize that the Charlotte Hornets by far led the NBA in clutch shooting. So, which is just – and you know this. I'm just saying it for the audience. It's it's defined as um, a game within five points in the last five minutes. So – the way that the Hornets last season were able to make up for all of the other numbers that did not conclude that they should be where they were was because of how incredibly clutch shooting they had late in games and how many close games they won. So this goes back to the closing lineup point. Um, Most of that clutch shooting was done by Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Obviously, Devontae Graham's not on this team right now, and Terry Rozier's hurt. So, so the point I'm trying to make here with P.J. Washington with the closing lineup is, can the Hornets sustain their ability to make, to create efficient offense late in games, because they're going to be in a lot of close games, and can they do that without Devontae Graham shooting 
And can they get PJ Washington back on track because of how important he is to that closing lineup at the five position? And can LaMelo Ball, who frankly was not in a lot of closing lineups last year because of how good Rozier and Graham were late in games, can he be that offensive hub late in games that makes this team, that gives this team the ability to win a bunch of close games and, sh- and create efficient offense when things get tense? Because that's what you have to do, you know, to, 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 to win close games against good teams and to ever even think about winning a playoff series. So wouldn't be, wouldn't be draft deeper without me asking you not just about LaMelo and Miles, but also about the even younger guys that they have on the Hornets. I, I, I alluded to these two a little bit in, in the previous question that I asked you, but what, what are your long-term thoughts on James Booknight and, and Kai Jones? What were your evaluations on them coming into last draft, and, and how do you think they can help the Hornets in, in the long-term in the future? Yeah, so I was um, I was probably higher on Kai Jones than consensus. Um, he ended up, I believe, tenth on my board. My whole thing with Kai Jones has been, okay, he's kind of been dubbed as this massive reward or bust prospect, like these massive variables. And although I completely understand how people come to that conclusion, because at surface level, I get it. Like he, he either could be this seven foot, you know, playmaking rim protecting like star, or he could be out of the league in five years because none of that ever comes together. And my take on Kai was always, yes, I see the upside that may or may not ever realize, but I thought he had a higher floor than most. And the reason why is some of the stuff you saw in the preseason, like, his motor runs incredibly hot. Mm-hmm. He plays hard. Um, he's obviously an athletic outlier. Um, so just as like a rim protecting, rim running, vertical lob threat, pick and roll, energy big, I feel like there is a place for Kai Jones in the NBA for a long time. Now, I do think it's going to take him a little while to get to that point. He has been on the active roster this entire season. He has not been set to Greensboro yet, as some of his other counterparts have. I think we'll probably see him get some reps in the G League, which would not be a bad thing, I don't think. No, no, um, it, that, that that's never a bad thing. I hate when people right. say the G League is somewhere where these players go to die. Like that, that's not the case. It's not. It's not the D League anymore. It's the the G right. League is a much better environment now. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, you know. Say what you want about Cody Martin, but he's a guy that developed through through the G League. Um, you know, we, we've had we've had quite a few kind of like player development success stories that have spent time in Greensboro. So there's nothing wrong with that. I agree with you. Um, so so I was high on Kai Jones for that reason. I'm still high high on Kai Jones. Like if any of the if any of the like off the dribble shooting stuff ever comes online, that is just gravy on top, and you're starting to look at a very, very impressive player. Whether that does or does not, I'm, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I'm just saying if it does, like, that's his ceiling. And, you know? and, and, and I'm not saying that that it definitely works out for Kai Jones. I was probably a little – well, I, not probably. I know I was lower than him than, than a lot of other people on, on draft mm-hmm. Twitter coming into last year. But if it does work out for him, defensively, that's the kind of weapon that you guys need. Like, for all of the reasons totally. that you laid out – 
why PJ Washington should be the closing five right now when he's healthy, like Kai Jones in, in two years could be an even more souped up version of that. And probably ideally what Great you point. would want in that closing lineup. So it's like, you might not have the long-term answer there right now, but at the same time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't break the bank to try and go out and get a different big man than the combination of PJ and Mason that you already have, because Kai could be that guy two years down the road and, and he could be absolutely perfect to slide in another rim running transition type big, like you said, somebody who at Texas was actually pretty good perimeter defender for his yes. size by, by the metrics. So like, that's more of what you guys need that would allow you to play this, this switchable style that you guys seem to want to do all the time. So I, I, I really like Kai for this team, depending on the team he would have went to and been drafted by, I can definitely have a little bit more of a disagreement, but I think for where the Hornets are at right now, they're still young enough to be patient with him just as they were patient with Miles. I think it could be a great place for him to develop, grow, and then ultimately play a role on a really good basketball team. What, what, what about James Booknight? Yeah, so so Booknight, um, I, I was absolutely lower on the, than the consensus. Um, he ended up 27th on my board. Um, that you know, is look, really low compared to consensus. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was, it was. And, and it wasn't that I like was super, super down on him as a player. I just, there were just so many kind of wings and guards that I preferred to him, you know, kind of like the Duarte's and Giddies and Cameron Thomas and man. And, but like, I just liked them all a little bit more. Um, one of my main concerns with book night, of course, was the shooting to a degree. And this wasn't necessarily his fault because he was on a UConn team that was fairly abysmal, particularly like from a playmaking standpoint. It was, yep. it was almost like, it was almost the Cole Anthony effect where like he was just getting the ball with like eight seconds left on the shot clock with all of his teammates looking at him and being like, yep. please do something. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. So that forced him into a ton of bad shots, a ton of bad situations. So I, I get that. And that's important context. I just thought that coming into the league, he was kind of going to be over-dependent on his ability to make plays with the ball in his hands. And if you're not an incredibly efficient offensive producer with the ball in your hands in the NBA, you don't get to have the ball in your hands in the NBA. Mm -hmm. So he's going to have to figure out a way to be kind of like this all – because he's super athletic. I mean, when, when he's – when he slices into the lane, like he cuts through defenses like butter at times. He's a very athletic finisher. He can absorb contact. So like the the the, the road mark to success for him, other than becoming an efficient off-ball shooter, which I think is possible but will be difficult, is is him being this like very cerebral kind of filling into space, attacking closeouts, off-ball cutter, all of that stuff which honestly would, would pair pretty well with LaMelo, I think, if he can figure it all out. Well, the, the was, other part, too, to that is Miles is also kind of laying out the blueprint for a lot of that, right? Like, very, like if Booknight can kind of be a, a clone of him in some aspects, just applying pressure on the basket and cutting, making the same kind of timely cuts. I mean, Booknight is that level of athlete to where he's quick enough attacking those closeouts, like he's going to apply a similar type of pressure. So, yeah, maybe, maybe the roadmap's already being laid out for him. Right. Yeah. Just, just follow that bridges blueprint, man. And like, I felt bad for him too, because our summer league team, although it had like some very interesting prospects on it, 
it just had nothing at the point guard position to organize offense. So he was almost back in this probably very like deja vu scenario for him at UConn and on our summer league team where, again, just like him having to try and create something against loaded defenses late in shot clocks. And he scored the ball pretty well in, in summer league and in preseason, but it just wasn't the perfect situation for him. So the last thing I'll say on book night is, although I was a little lower on him than consensus, um, I have become more optimistic about his fit with this roster specifically. And I think he will get his opportunity. And it may even come tonight against the Magic with Rozier out, um, kind of depending on how Cody Martin plays. I, I think it's possible we'll see Booknight soon. But either way, he'll get his opportunities eventually, and it'll just be about how he responds to them. And and I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he can do it. The Charlotte Hornets, what a fantabulous, fun basketball team. I I, I love watching the Hornets at this point. I'm going to continue to watch the Hornets this year. We're we're recording this on Wednesday the twenty seventh. Yeah, they're they're yep. playing the Magic tonight. We're we're very close to tip off. I'll I'll definitely get you out of here with plenty of time to to get ready for tip off. Hornets win tonight. Hornets beat the Magic. I think so, but like it's kind of like low key a big game. You know, we're three and one right now. If you drop a team, if you drop a game to the Magic and you and you and you and you don't look great doing it. It, it kind of starts, the, I guess, like the fun, energetic vibe start to wear off a little bit. You're three and two, you know, you're coming into a tough part of the schedule. If they can look good tonight without Rozier and Washington again, and, and kind of like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a blowout, just like a convincing solid win. I think you're looking at like the momentum really continuing to build. So I, I think from a narrative standpoint, it's actually like kind of a big game. Two more questions to get us out of here, hopefully on a high note. Does Miles Bridges win most improved player? And where do the Hornets finish in the Eastern Conference? Do you see them comfortably as a playoff team? Do you see them as comfortably in the play-in, barely making the play-in? Where do you see the Hornets? All right, so I'll say yes for Miles, because why not? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th I think obviously if he continues on this tear, he's a shoe in for it. I'm sure there'll be some stiff competition for that, for that. But, uh, but yeah, I I'll go ahead and say yes to that. Um, I said prior to the season that the Hornets would win 43 games, which is actually the most. So there's four co-hosts on the buzz beat pod and I was the highest win total of them all. So I was the, I was the optimistic. Oh, you're guy. looking damn good right now, man. Hey, I know I'm loving it so far. So I said, I said 43 wins and seventh in the East. So I will stick to that. Um, although like there's like Chicago looks fantastic. Atlanta looks unbelievable. The Knicks are, they've smashed Philly last night. Like there's some real, there's some real competition here in the East. Um, but, but you know, I, I'm optimistic right now and why not? We're three and one. My, my Philadelphia 76ers are in trouble. I, 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 I am not – this is not just an overreaction to last night against the Knicks. I think last night against another good basketball team, you saw everything come to a head that I was afraid of without Ben Simmons or without right. the right package back in return for him to this point. They Like, they, man, they – I don't know if you caught any of the game last night or not, but, like, they, they can't Easy. guard a fly. They can't right. guard. They can't keep anybody else in front of them. And I said this to Chuck on his podcast. I was like, 
if you put every single ounce of pressure on Embiid's shoulders to quite literally carry everything defensively for that team, I just don't know what that's going to look like. And Chuck is like, I'm very optimistic about Embiid. I, I believe in him. If I had to pick uh, uh, any player in the league to be the best player in the league on any given day, like that's my guy. And I'm like, that's great. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but this is a Joel Embiid that misses time every single year. You're going to ask him to do even more than he's already had to do. Like, I just, I just don't know how that works. And, and God, Danny Green can't guard anybody. Matisse Thibel can't do anything (laughs) offensively to kind of spell Danny Green minutes. And I I don't know. I'm just, at at least Tyrese Maxey, that was one of your guys, by the way, right? Maxey was one of your boys. Well, I was higher on quickly than Maxey. Higher on quickly. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) But at least he's like a little bit of a bright spot. And then obviously when, when Embiid is on and he doesn't have to do every single thing for that team, he's terrific. But any, any parting thoughts for me about my 76ers, any, any sort of optimism you can give me? Oh man. Um, <laughs> Seth Curry, Seth Curry, man. Just Seth Curry's been them, terrific. Just keep, get, just keep getting him the rock. <laughs> That's uh, no, man. I, 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 you know, and I don't think we want to go down the Ben Simmons rabbit hole right now, but I am hopeful and I, I'm, I'm not as nearly as plugged in as you, so I don't really know what the update is, but I would, I would just love to see him back, man. I, I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I like, like you said, the defensive load needs to be shared. And obviously if there's one thing Ben Simmons can do is he can yep. guard, he can, he can guard. So, uh, I, you know, I think like you, you guys will figure it out, man. You guys will figure it out. I hope so. I hope so. It's right, right now to me, it's a race between who will have a better record, the Hornets and the 76. And if you had to ask me, <laughs> you had to ask me today, I don't know, man, I might be leaning towards you guys. We'll see <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. But Lee, this was a fantastic podcast. I can't thank you enough for wanting to come on again one more time for my audience, please share where they can find you on social media as well as where they can find everything that you're doing. Yeah. At, at which Carolina on Twitter, um, at Buzzbeat pod for all of our Hornets content, we put out at least two episodes a week. Um, particularly during the season, it's a lot of post game reaction stuff. Um, and, and, um, and then at which Carolina for the, the, which Carolina podcast for all of my NBA draft content. So man, Nathan, I really appreciate you having me on, man. This was, this was a blast. And anytime, anytime you'll have me, I'll show up. Oh, we're going to talk about some 2022 draft, baby. Don't, don't you we worry. Go. We'll get that going. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Again, thank you all so much for listening out there. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you can find this along with all of the other podcasts on the No Ceilings Podcast Network through our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash No Ceilings NBA. You'll find my show on there, Draft Deeper. You'll find the Draft Act podcast on there. They just released an episode today which I still have yet to listen to, but I'm going to listen to it tonight on Patrick Baldwin Jr. I'm sure that's fantastic. You can find Backcourt Violation on there as well as NBA Deep Dives. Follow me on Twitter, at Draft Deeper. Uh, I'm always on there talking hoops, so definitely come on, continue to engage with me on that platform. And then subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack, where we have links quite literally all over social media on where to find that content. So get subscribed to that email newsletter you'll get. Daily content Monday through Friday in your inbox. Can't wait to continue that trend. But thank you all again for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your week.